Good morning, Bridge of Hope, and all of our friends and family scattered across the Piedmont Triad, North Carolina, the U.S., Canada, and around the world. Welcome again to our service. Thankful uh, that we are able to worship together uh, on this beautiful day. I hope you've uh, also been able to uh, contribute towards our missions offering. Uh, of course, you know we are uh, supporting uh, the Apex Campus. We want to give a special offering towards them. And today we honor and recognize the ministry of our deacon, Deacon Early Johnson and his great ministry with the Gideons. And so today's offering, anything undesignated goes towards the Gideons, but you can also designate a special offering. They put Bibles on our campuses. Deacon Early is always witnessing throughout the city in campuses and restaurants and hotels. And so you'd be surprised how active and effective the Gideons ministry continues to be today. And we are thankful to have a Gideon serving within our congregation. So uh, thank God for Deacon Early and thank God for all of you who support the ministry of the gospel here uh, at the Bridge of Hope Church. Today we uh, will be completing uh, our series, The Love and Ministry of a Disciple-Making Couple. We'll look at two passages. Uh, one found, we continue in Romans chapter 16, verses three to five, and then we will be linking that up with 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19. Romans chapter 16, verses three to five. It reads as follows. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca together with the church in their house send you warm or hearty greetings in the Lord. May God add the blessing to the reading of his holy word. Would you join me in prayer today, please? Father, I thank you for this wonderful opportunity we have to again dig into your word, to see how you have moved in time and in history and to hear afresh today how you desire us to respond in the same way that your people did during the early church. So lead us, Holy Spirit. Convict us, encourage us, strengthen us that we might live as disciple makers of the Lord Jesus Christ for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we close this series on the love and ministry of a disciple-making couple, we do so, as we said before, looking at the churches in which Aquila and Priscilla made disciples. So if you look again at the Romans passage, particularly focusing on Romans 16, uh, Romans chapter 16 and 4, you will see here, uh, 
focusing on the second part, it begins who risked their life. They risked their life for my life. That would be Paul to whom not only I give thanks, but I love this, but all the churches of the Gentiles. I think this is very important. Uh, all the Gentiles in our, in the church are grateful to this couple. Uh, if you remember uh, the fact that Aquila and Priscilla uh, met Paul having been expelled from Italy because the Gentiles literally ran them out of town. And so here we are in Romans and the Bible tells us that the Gentile churches owe so much to this couple. This says a lot about the gospel. It says a lot about Christ and it says a lot about this couple. Uh, and I want you to hear this. Just like water looks for an opening, the gospel looks for an opening and does not determine ahead of time where it will go. When God's uh, people are led by his spirit, we will go wherever God opens a door with the gospel. And I'm saying not so much to places, but as to people, uh, because the church will always be a cross-cultural church because the gospel does not allow us to stand still and predetermine who will and who will not receive the gospel. All the churches that are of Gentile nature owe much to this couple because they made disciples among the Gentiles. It did not matter even the bias and the prejudice that, that they experienced while in Corinth, while in Ephesus, while among Romans. Uh, they still took the gospel to all people groups. And I want to make this declaration that we see through the loving ministry of this couple. The, the disciple making is cross-cultural. Period. It doesn't matter who the people are. It doesn't matter where they're from. The gospel looks beyond our preferences and goes to the hearts that need to be redeemed. And if you remember Acts chapter one, verse eight, the scripture says, and you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what? You will be my witnesses. You will be my disciple makers. Where? You begin where you are in Judea and Jerusalem, and then you're going to go to the Samaritans. And when you pass through the Samaritan region, having made disciples among them, then you're going to go to the uttermost parts of the world. The gospel crosses culture. The gospel goes wherever the opportunity takes it. And this is seen through this couple. They build relationships. They love people and they introduce them to Jesus. Can I tell you today, we must learn to not just be a welcoming church, but to be a disciple-making church that clearly articulates the gospel truth 
and engages relationships that they might follow him. We learn this from this couple. Uh, Jesus gave this gospel to the church and it's embedded in us, uh, perhaps not in all churches, but in this church, we affirm that this is an all nations gospel and therefore we must take it to all peoples. Remember what Jesus says when he quotes Isaiah in Mark 11 and 17. He says what? But my house is a house of prayer for all nations, for all people groups. I want you to consider even in the book of Acts when the Bible speaks about the early church was under great attack and persecution. And the Bible tells us in chapter eight, starting at verse four, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, proclaimed to them the Christ and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Can I tell you why the joy came? The joy of the Lord came because the gospel went to a people that had not received it before. God's joy comes when we go beyond our own culture to where God takes us. Do not close the door. Do not close your eyes. Do not live in your little worlds. Open up the doors. Open up the windows. Build bridges. Build relationships. Allow the gospel to go beyond your culture. Disciple making is cross-cultural. If we are only winning people of our own ethnic background, it should only mean this. I don't come in contact with people who are not uh, a part of my ethnic background. That should be the only excuse that I never meet. I don't see them in the stores. I don't work next to them. That would be the only way. But if we come in contact with different kinds of people, the gospel is just looking for an open door. And so my friend, my brother, my sister, we must allow the gospel to run through us that it might run into the lives of those of other cultures and people groups. The second thing I want us to see here is that disciple making is not just cross-cultural. Disciple making in the church is agile and flexible. Look at verse five of chapter six of Romans chapter 16. In, in this passage, we see that the church, I love how it says the church that meets in their house. The church meets in their house. First Corinthians chapter 16 says the churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Priscilla together with the church in their house. Uh, the church met in their literal home. The church, the church is not a place. The church are those who are following Christ being discipled that they might carry out the mission of Christ. The people are the church. 
The spirit of God, according to the word of God, is who the spirit dwells within. He don't dwell in buildings. He dwells in people. When we begin a service and we say spirit of God, come in. We're not saying merely come into this room. We're saying come among your people and come in our hearts that we might exalt you and lift up Christ. First Corinthians chapter three and 16 is clear where the Bible says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? Why am I stressing this? Because we must understand that the building, the venue, the facility is never the church. I know in America and across the world we'll say, oh, I've got to go to the church or, or we built a new church. Listen, we are, we are building a building where the church resides. We are built. The Old Testament mindset is that God dwells in the temple made with hands. But in the new covenant, God dwells in his people. God dwells in his people. If Christ dwells in you, then his spirit dwells in you and you are God's people. And so the church met in their house. The church, if you look at Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 46 and verse 47, it's a well-known passage. They were selling their possessions, this is the church, and belongings and distributing the need, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, the church went to the temple to worship the Lord. And then they broke bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as such as were saved. This is very important here. We want to continue to emphasize the church meets in houses. The church meets in facilities. The church even gathers online. The church can meet outdoor in parks for the purpose of disciple making. But disciple making itself is agile and flexible. We may meet here today or we may meet over there tomorrow or we may meet on the other side of the Piedmont Triad. But we have to recognize that when we meet, we meet as the church. What is less important is where we meet. They met in their home. And I say it's less important because I'm going to stress later on that it is important that we dwell, that we meet in homes. But I want to say here, we have made sacred cows out of buildings. And what we need to make sacred is the presence of God among the people of God for the glory of God. Hallelujah. We are God's church and we must see doing the work of God must be much more agile and flexible. That's how we know the spirit of God is among us because we're not tied down to tradition and tied down to buildings. Listen, the one thing that cannot change is the gospel, is the doctrine that has been passed down. But where we meet is not sacred. We meet wherever God leads us and we meet wherever souls are and we go where they are ready to commit the gospel to them. We'll meet them on the street. We'll meet them in airports. We'll meet them in trains. We'll meet them at bus stops. We'll meet them in classrooms. We'll wherever God has people, that's where God's people must go. 
And yes, there are times, these sacred moments like Sundays when we gather together corporately and this and thank God that we live in a in a we have opportunity that we can gather regularly, consistently in the same place so that we're not thrown off. But we saw throughout this year, churches are thrown off because we can't meet in the building. Listen, we want to be able to assemble together, but the reality is this, where we assemble is not as important as we have to assemble. And not only do we have to assemble, but what do we do when we assemble? We call out on the name of the Lord. We teach the gospel. We love and serve one another. We encourage one another and we do that here corporately and we must do that decentralized when we leave the building. That is what's important, that the gospel and the disciple making is agile and flexible. You got to roll with the punches. Sometimes life throws you a wrench and you got to be flexible. The church historically has met under tents and in homes, big buildings and small buildings just to make disciples. And it's important that we recognize that our success as the church is not based on the size or the grandeur of a facility, but the fruit. And when I speak of fruit, let's be clear what I'm speaking about. I'm talking about spiritual people fruit, lives, families, Men, women, boys and girls, people who the Lord Jesus Christ died on behalf of. So when we are making disciples, we have to be aware that God calls us to meet in different places. But what's important is that we meet. And that we go. Jesus says in John chapter 20 and 21, as the father sent me, so I am sending you. And he's saying sending us into the world, but wherever he has us to go, we just go there. We bloom where we're planted and we recognize that God can uproot us and replant us in another place. Amen, somebody. That's why the Bible says in Psalm One, and you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of running water. And I love that passage because it's really replanted. I'll pick you up and you may have been in a dry place here that wasn't fruitful, but I'll replant you. In other words, we go where the gospel leads, where God by his providence sends us, where the Holy Spirit instructs us. That's why we've got to have ears to hear what the spirit is saying. And that's what Priscilla and Aquila did. They listened to the Lord. Where do we need to go? Where do we need to make disciples? Okay, we can do it in the temple. Okay, we can do it in our home. We've got to be flexible. Let the Lord show us where. This couple shows us that disciple making is a family and a community affair. Why is it that Priscilla and Aquila have a church meeting in their home? Why does the New Testament mention homes so much? Why does so much of Jesus's ministry, his ministry to Zacchaeus, his ministry to Lazarus, his ministry to Peter, remember when he healed his mother-in-law, why is it that it takes 
place in the early church so much in the homes. For the Bible says the church met in Priscilla and Aquila's home. Well, I want you to think about a great deal of what takes place in the New Testament has this family analogy to it. And e even when we think about our sacred services, think about communion. Communion literally is us reenacting Jesus eating with his disciples and drinking with his disciples. And in that home, in, in that very informal setting, he said, this bread represents my body. This drink represents my blood. Think about when he takes a robe and he says, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter says, don't wash my feet. Jesus says, listen, if I don't if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. Jesus says, wash my whole body. Listen, even the washing of feet was the thing that took place when one came from outside into the home and a servant would wash one's feet and we commit to serve one another. And so we symbolically wash one another's feet, even to this day. Because Jesus set the model. But these examples take place in the home. And I think the church meeting in homes communicates to us that, that this very intimate, personal, transparent environment is where disciple making takes place. See, the disciple making doesn't just take place on Sunday mornings in our large corporate sessions. And these are very important. Uh, this, this is not to be undermined. Everybody coming together to honor the Lord and worship him is important. But also being able to meet in smaller intimate times for nurturing and encouraging one another is important. Think about what Romans 12 and 15 says. We must, we must uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. We must weep with those who weep or mourn with those who mourn. We must share one another's successes and celebrations, and we must share one another's sorrows and burdens. And often this is not done in a general session, although we can do that in the, on a Sunday morning when we're broken in heart. But listen, it even becomes more multiplied, more significant when we go to one another's homes. And we encourage and we cry and we laugh together. The pandemic, I think in some sense, I notice, I, I take note of what the word says. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And when we say and all things, that means circumstances that may not be positive and and well received. God can even use that. And one of the blessings that God has used with the pandemic is he has taken back our homes for sacred space, for disciple making, 
for honoring him. And, and not to say we weren't doing it before, but when he brought it back and we had to work everybody for several months and even up to this point, still people are at home worshiping God. We have, some of you still haven't made it back to the building and there are various reasons why. But I think this is important that we recognize we need to have God's presence both among us all when we meet together in the facility but we need his presence at home as well. Parents teaching parents, husbands praying with wives, wives laying hands on husbands, children praying for parents, grandparents laying hands on their children. This is so important that we reclaim the home. You know, I grew up and in my early days, uh, four, five, six years old, I remember being in Markham, Illinois and worshiping Christ in the house. Not only for our family devotions, we never left the house until we had our family devotions before school, but also our church met in our house. I used to tell people I was the first janitor in the church because I was responsible for vacuuming the living room where we would make because we started the church in our house. We would go to granddaddy's house. I think it was Monday or Tuesday. And we would have corporate prayer for the extended family. Listen, the home must be taken back as a special place for making disciples. And I know, and listen, this is very important because we, we at times feel like the home is my place and, you know, everywhere else is God's. But listen, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and all that dwell therein. Whatever you have is because God gave it to you and it's God who owns it. We must give it back to God and we must use it for God. I long for the day when every house will be a lighthouse in the community for Christ. Yes, your house. And I know some of you are like, I don't like people coming to my house. Okay, I'm not going to stress that. I'm just going to ask this. Would you ask God what he would like to have for your house? And if God says, listen, it's just for you and your husband or you and your wife or you and your children, fine. That's fine. Can't argue with God. But if God brings people in your lives who would like, who, who you can meet with and share the gospel with, share meals, share time together, and in that relationship, help them follow Christ, then let's use our homes for his glory. When we say we are all in on making disciples, we're not playing church. We're saying that these are the last days and we must decide that we're not just nominal Christians in name only. Whatever God gives us, we're going to use for his glory. Now, if you're like me, I tell my kids, would you please get the house clean before folk come over? <laughs> I understand. But do what you got to do so that we can practice the biblical principle of hospitality. A welcoming people, not only to our general facility, but even to our homes. Because listen, in fact, I'll go far further. Before maybe you invite your friend to our general Sunday worship service, invite them first over to your house. Invite a brother or sister over to your house. Let them meet. Let them connect. Let's laugh. Let's enjoy. Let, let's get to know one another. Let's build relationships. 
that can lead to the glory of Christ. Before you come here, I know the old days, it would be like, oh, invite everybody to church. They can hear the message and get saved. Listen, that may be the old days for us, but that's not the biblical precedent. The biblical precedent is we meet them where they're at. We invite them over to our home. They get to know us and we introduce us to them to the greater body. And as they come among the body and as they hear our testimony, who has credibility and we introduce them to the larger body, they can receive the revelation of Jesus Christ as Lord, King and Savior. We learn from the love and ministry of Aquila and Priscilla that disciple making is lifelong. You will never grow out of making disciples. In Romans chapter 16, the church is meeting in their home. They are making disciples in their home. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, this is another town, another city, another house. They are making disciples. In Ephesus, in Corinth, in Romans, several different places. Now, these were business people, but it's just very interesting. We're talking about over several years, they have several houses and they make disciples in these different places where they move which lets us know that they may have begun uh, in Corinth. They may have begun in Corinth. That's where they met Paul. Maybe that's where they met Apollos. But then they went to Ephesus and then they went to Rome. And we get the sense that they didn't stop. Church, it, you don't grow out of making disciples. You don't have a season where I'm on fire for God and I make disciples. And now I'm going to just chill. I'm just going to, you know, rest a little while. No, this is their lifestyle. This is a part of our life in Christ. There was not a time when Aquila and Priscilla were not making Christ known. And they were not super Christians. We're just talking about making relationships that introduce people to the Lord that has loved us and redeemed us. They were committed to multiplying disciples. And what multiplying disciples is, listen, they, the church met in their home. So when we are in discipling relationships, often it's not just one-on-one, -on -one, but maybe it's one, it's you and two others, or you and three others, or you and four others, and you come together. And then when you all become disciples, when these three or four become disciples, what happens? They then make disciples. That's multiplying. Instead of just adding someone to the church, now we're in these relationships whereby we all become microgroup, I, I mean, I'm, uh, disciple makers, and then we lead others into Christ's kingdom. It's multiplying the church. What's happening in Apex? That's an example of multiplying. That's not adding, that's multiplying. Now we've got several people in another area that's sharing the gospel with their neighbors and their friends and strangers who they're bringing into relationships. 
And that won't be the apex won't be the last. I long for wherever God's people live and we have a large contingency, a campus in High Point, maybe, or a campus in Danville or a campus in Lexington, wherever God's or campus in Summerfield, wherever God's people are living and we're winning people there. After a while, you want to be able to establish a gospel witness in those communities, in those neighborhoods and let God's church multiply. It's a lifelong commitment. It's a lifelong vision. It's something that God has given to this church that we would dedicate ourselves to making disciples until he returns. And so if Christ has not returned next year, we're going to make more disciples. And when we're making disciples and we outgrow this, listen, now we're in two services. So we can max out one service and max out the other. But what happens when we reach? Do we just do we always build? Perhaps. But maybe we don't always build. Maybe we start another campus or plant another church for the glory of God. Listen, we will be winning people until the Lord comes. This is a lifelong commitment. This is a marriage. This is a relationship. And the beauty of this one is, you know, in the natural, you only have so many years that you're fruitful. Once you hit your 50s, you're probably not having babies. But the wonderful thing about the church is we can be bearing fruit until the Lord comes. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, the Lord tells us about this gospel and what his plans are for us to do with it. He says this gospel of the kingdom, this commitment to making disciples that men and women might follow and know Christ and be changed by him and commit to his mission. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then when the, and then will the end come. When we see over decades, Aquila and Priscilla starting churches in their home, making disciples over decades, we see they didn't stop because Christ did not return. And if Christ has not come back yet, then we can't stop Bridge of Hope. We can't be satisfied. We can't say, oh, thank God for that expansion. Now we can rest. Oh, thank God for this. Now, oh, thank God. Now we can. No, 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 no. Until we're going to work the works of Christ until night comes when no man can work. John 9 and 4. And that's what we're going to do, church, because they, they teach us what love and life as disciple makers is like. Would you join me in prayer? And I really want us to pray because there is nothing more important than giving ourselves over to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm saved. No, giving yourself over means I'm both transformed, I'm, I'm transformed by the gospel, and I'm committed to the mission of the gospel. We got to do more than preach from a pulpit. The pastor has to make disciples personally. We have to open our hearts and our hands 
personally. We have to commit to our neighbors, to our friends, to our schools, to our coworkers personally. I'm tired of people looking for titles and tired of people looking for the better church and whoa, they've got better singing here and they've got better preaching here. Listen, we're not playing those games. Here's what we are doing. We are committing to be Jesus's disciples and to do that work till he comes. We are not about the game of church. We're about the work of the gospel church. And we look at Priscilla and Aquila and they gave us a great example through their love and through their life, how to make disciples. Would you join with me, Father, today? I thank you for your calling. Your calling is without repentance. Hallelujah. I thank you that you love us. The songwriter says, you loved me ere I knew you and all my love is due. God, I want to give my love completely to you. I want to give my strength to you. I pray you would fill me and fill the Bridge of Hope Church. Baptize us with power and anointing that we might make disciples. That we might not uh, do the church games and try to do what other churches are doing. Try to out-event others and try to out-talent others. No, God, I pray we would lean on the Holy Spirit and do ministry as Jesus did it. For the glory of God the Father. Open our hearts. Give us conviction, God. Wake us up with the burden to make the Son known. A burden to know one another, to love one another, to encourage and build each other up in the faith that we might lead others to know this same glorious, beautiful gospel. In Jesus' name, call your people, lift up your people, anoint from the youngest to the oldest. May we become disciple makers. In fact, I pray for the Bridge of Hope Church that we'll become a disciple-making movement set a fire in this church that sets the state, this city, this region ablaze with the gospel. Hallelujah. That wherever we touch God, it would come alive with the power of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.